Hello and welcome back to the Cine Skinny. It's the film podcast from the team behind the Skinny magazine. Uh, this week it is me, Peter Simpson, with Lewis Robertson. Hello. Jamie Dunn. Hello. And returning guest to the pod, our friend, good friend of the pod, uh, writer and Take One Action Festival programmer, Chanlin Tam. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> We're having a great time. We've been avoiding all the chaos caused by that thing that everyone's talking about. <laughs> And uh, Anahi is back from Venice, but she is currently in Luton. So that's fun. Two sides of the same coin, I suppose. Venice and Luton. The Venice uh, of, of Great Britain. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Uh, Luton is the Venice of like the M25 <laughs> area. But she will be dialing in a bit later on to tell us some of the, about some of the stuff that she's seen at Venice Film Festival. But we are here in Edinburgh at Upload Studios, uh, uploadstudios.co.uk with the lovely Josh behind the controls. And we've got some films to talk about, uh, a couple of like interesting indie kind of like coming of age, dealing with yourself type films, but both very strange and very interesting and very good. It's not much of a spoiler to say that. Um, and we're also gonna be talking because uh, Chen Lin is with us about Take One Action, which returns for its 15th edition at the end of the week that this comes out. So we're gonna talk a bit about the program and the festival itself but before we do any of that we're going to do the classic as it says in the notes chatty and pithy discussion of things we have been watching so jamie do you want to go first what have you been watching um yeah i was through in glasgow the other week and they're doing a retrospective on uh Kinyu, uh tanaka who was recently the subject of eif's retrospective but unfortunately i couldn't see any uh at edinburgh because of the just the festival chaos uh, and i'm kind of gutted i didn't because the one i saw is uh, really excellent it's called the moon rises it's basically like if uh, ozu did a jane austen adaptation uh it's like about a young woman trying to set up her older sister with a guy who's friends lodging anyway it's like it's a whole kind of like austin like plot of like a matchmaker but obviously it's about the matchmaker trying to get her you know is also in love with someone else so it's it's, it's, all, it's a kind of like very frothy effervescent romance but it's also um a kind of sly look at japan in the mid 50s and how it was a, a country that was changing a lot um it starts like you could it, it could be like feudal times the way it starts and then the film slowly gets more modern as it goes on and by the end it's, it's about this young woman going to tokyo and sort of changing her life so it's also about kind of being a woman in mid-century Japan and how feminism was changing the country and how women were having more, uh, yeah, I guess, more independence. So it's, it's, it's a whole mix of stuff, but just mixed up in this kind of really frothy, funny romance. So yeah, I would love to see more of her stuff. Um, it's really, really promising film. Um, are the Tanaka films going to be on anywhere? Oh, now they've played a bit in Glasgow and obviously the EIFF retrospective, are they going to be coming on streaming or anything, do you know? I or? believe they are, yeah. Well, it's, um, it's Janus Films who have done the retrospective, so they're probably on the Criterion channel, I suspect. Um, but I think this retrospective might be doing the round, so um, it's in Glasgow just now. I suspect you'll probably get it in other places. Um, definitely all works worth catching. And what's interesting is all her films look really different as well. So this one's, like like I say, a throthy romance, but she also did like epics and action films and films about kind of sex workers so they're all kind of like quite different as well so yeah i want to dig in and see more sounds good so that's the moon has risen that's the moon has risen good stuff lewis what have you been watching uh over the weekend i saw a film which i've been meaning to watch for ages because everyone says it's amazing i saw heathers which i have really been sleeping on because it is a really fantastic film i've seen like winona Ryder 
in a lot of stuff, but never quite as central, you know? So she's, she does a lot in Stranger Things. She does a lot in like Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice and stuff like that. But this is her as the protagonist, one-on-one, breaking the fourth wall, talking to the audience. She's a very good actor. Christian Slater is a very bad actor, but in like an interesting way. <laughs> a really like sort of weird, but like really meaningful and interesting film. Uh, I don't think it's on anything, I'm afraid. We watched it on Blu-ray, and I don't think that it's actually on any streaming sites. I also liked when you said Heathers. The beauty of the podcast is that we, me, Jamie, and Chun Lin, all nodded completely silently. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of agreement, but you would have absolutely no idea if I hadn't just brought it up just now. If only you could be in the room right now, listener. <laughs> it would be busy, but we'd have a lovely time. So that's Heathers. Um, Chun Lin, you were just at the Venice Film Festival with Anahit, who is not in Venice anymore. She's in Luton. She is not, and um, we're glad that she finally made it out of the airport. Yeah, was she not stuck in Venice airport for like yeah. 15 hours or it something? Was, she it was, was saying? bad, but she was watching The Bear, which I know she really enjoys, so yeah, there's consolation in that. She has discussed her love of The Bear on this <laughs> podcast before when we hypothetically <laughs> talked about how you would watch it, given that it's not legally available to stream in this country yet. <laughs> Yeah, if you're at an airport, that's kind of like international waters, isn't it? So yeah, it's probably fine. It's free range. Yeah, it's like yeah. a physical VPN, just going to an airport to watch things. Yeah, <laughs> I could be anywhere. I am very definitely here, but I could be anywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, Chandler, you were just in Venice. Do you have anything in particular that stood out in the time you were over there or just anything you want to kind of flag up, either from there or from some other time? I, yeah, I watched, I did watch quite many films at the festival, which one should do as a film festival, I've heard. Um, but my favorite film was actually a film I saw on the first day and nothing kind of topped it. And that was Tar, which was the new um, Todd Field film starring Kate Blanchett. And she obviously won the Volpe Cup this weekend of Best Actress uh, at Venice Film Festival. It was a completely like legendary stunning performance and she is a force to be reckoned with as we all know but this is just her on a completely different level playing this almost kind of egomaniacal um classical music conductor um who's you know kind of reached the girl boss peaks of fame (laughs) just like profiled by the new yorker she's got a book coming out um legions of kind of very intelligent um but also quite um starstruck young fans who are just kind of eager to kind of enter her sphere of influence and it's just a really kind of compelling look into power and fame and about the ways in which uh power you know corrupts and allows people to manipulate those who come under your spell and as as we go on into the film we're kind of treated to this really intricate unpeeling of these like layers of her image, uh, her constructed image as this, you know, star at the top of her game. And we see all of these um, kind of hints and flickers of abuse that she's she's kind of um, brought onto the people under her, her power um, kind of start to trickle in. And it turns into this very amorphous, almost psychological and surreal, almost yeah really terrifying movie at the end um and i thought it was it was stunning like i was sitting in the cinema the entire time and just thinking this must be one of the best movies i've seen like ever kate blanchett is like another one of those actors who i've not really seen so central in a in a performance so i'd love to see this because everything that i've seen her in she kind of steals the show no matter how much time she's actually in it for Mm. 
Yeah, this was kind of like, yeah, you, you think back to her performances in like Blue Jasmine and in Carol, and this is just her on like a completely different level. Mm-hmm. Just definitely one for the Kate Blanchett stands, I think. <laughs> it's, it's also Todd Field, because he hasn't made a film in absolute ages. Like, and he was like a total, I guess he was like an indie star, like like Little Children and um, in the bedroom. They were like up for Oscars and won Oscars. I don't know what, what happened to him, he just disappeared. Yeah, definitely. And But with this film, I think you really get that sense which I felt with Jane Campion's Power of the Dog as well, where it was like a director kind of who's retreated to the shadows and is like observing the world for many, many years and then returning at the height of their powers to make something so kind of, it feels like a very sharp tool that they've, you know, then honed and waited for the right time to like release another work into the ether. And it was like, it was really great. Yeah, really excited for that to be out in cinemas. So it is coming out, I've just double check it's coming out in january as kind of like a general release in classic oscar release scheduling we all know how the game is played mm-hmm. so yeah it'll be out in january in uk cinemas and a banger we soon be saying it's a banger a kate blanchett banger Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's also at the london film festival so um if you're no, in london is it not i don't think it is oh that's weird i thought i'm <laughs> sure it was but anyway anyway as weird as not. Why is it not the London Film Festival? I know, I know. While I tell everyone about the about the film I watched the other day, Jamie, you can double check whether or not it's on at London Film Festival. So, so the thing. Thank you very much, Liz. Um, so the thing I want to talk about is a film that's just been added to Mubi called Greener Grass, which is a deeply strange kind of comedy of manners, social satire, written, I believe, written and directed by a, a pair of. Um, kind of comedian actors Don Lube and Jocelyn DeBoer and it is essentially about a woman in this very kind of like Stepford Wives Pleasantville meets David Lynch world where she kind of seems to be willing to do anything to keep people happy and to keep up the kind of social mores of this weird society that she lives in she gives away her baby in the first five minutes and then things get stranger from there but it's incredibly colourful and almost kind of grotesque in a lot of its imagery. Everything is like hypersaturated. Everyone wears adult braces. It was shot in this city in Georgia, which is uh, Peachtree City, which is most notable for the fact that everyone uses golf carts to get around. It's a very kind of funny, twisted look at suburban life and the way that people kind of take on these ideas of how to conform to societal pressures and the things that they think they're supposed to do and the ways they think they're supposed to act. But also it has an absolutely bonkers twist about half an hour in that I don't want to spoil, but is absolutely incredible. Absolute, like incredible to the point of being not credible, but also hilarious. Um, so that's Greener Grass. It's on movie right now. It's also based on a short film that Don and Jocelyn made a few years prior so if you just want to have like a quick hit of what the kind of tone is that short film is on youtube as well it's also called greener grass so you can check that out but yeah greener grass very strange lots of bright pink polo shirts lots of uh what's his name one of the guys from regular players from snl drinking lots of pool water because he's convinced that it tastes really good because it's like got non-chlorine filtration it's one of those kind of films, but it's very, very good. So I would recommend that. Greener Grass. Jamie, do we get any further on Tar? Uh, I believe it was talking rubbish. But maybe it's going to be the surprise film. They often have a big film that isn't uh, in the programme, then it's the surprise film. I so. think this would be a bit intense for a surprise film, but <laughs> we'll see. That yeah. was great. I was, I was really sad that it wasn't going to be at London because I would have loved to see it again. 
So maybe it is a surprise film. That's a Cine Skinny's LFF prediction in early. (laughs) Tar for the surprise film. Thank us when you find out that's what (laughs) it is. So Take One Action Film Festival is back for its 15th edition and it is running programs in Edinburgh and Glasgow in September and then Aberdeen and Inverness in October with some feature films, some short films and workshops all centering on the idea of land as kind of a material thing, as like a source and like way that people exert power and as kind of terrain for violence and also resistance against violence. So to get into some of the stuff around the festival, kind of how it's come together and kind of thinking behind it, we thought, who better to talk us through the programme than the programmer of the festival? And then it turns out, just so happens, that the programmer of the festival is friend of the pod. (laughs) (laughs) Friend of the pod and the record number of times being a guest, Chun Lin. So to get started, just kind of talk us through a little bit, if anyone doesn't know, kind of what Take One Action is and kind of how it sort of has developed over the time it's been running. Thank you so much for having me back as friend of the pod. (laughs) Um, So Take One Action Film Festival is a Scottish-based global action cinema project. And uh, we basically love to tie in cinema and other ways of interacting with um, audiences, artists, activists, and um, community organizations to use cinema as a starting point for generating community and longevity of social change and because we believe in cinema kind of as you know the maybe foremost tool in practicing empathy you know like coming to a cinema screen and being able to close that gap in distance and time between you and where you are your positionality and the stories of those who you know you might not see in real life or think about too much in real life we wanted to be able to use that energy that comes out of a screening to to channel that those feelings and those emotions that cinema moves you to into um, action and you know transformative um, change in our communities and beyond. So um, we've always you know tried to platform stories that inspire anger or joy or you know just the desire to connect with more with um, your local community, but also with charging solidarity across borders as well. And this year we're just so excited to be back in Edinburgh kicking off our festivals on Friday um, with this um, like what um, the the previously mentioned theme on of land it serves as kind of a really big um, current or through line through our festival this year we hope that audiences will really respond to it and draw lots of you know meaningful connections across the events and screenings that we have so maybe it would be good to maybe talk about a few of the films that kind of tie into that theme of land and how they yeah how, how they are all different so like uh, and how they can explore land in such interesting in different ways so maybe foragers is a good one to start with that's the opening film and that's how people in palestine are using foraging as a way of kind of resistance against uh you know the, the, their land being sort of robbed from them so could you talk about that film yeah so foragers is um our opening film and it is generally such a stunning piece of cinema it's a hybrid documentary that uses both Um, archive footage and also fictional reenactions of even kind of like courtroom scenes to unpick this kind of legislative and social um, operation of um, conservation laws in um, historical Palestine or Israel. And basically this film explores um, the fact that the Israeli nature or Parks and Nature Authority made the, uh, the act of foraging for um, traditional herbs like akub and zatar 
um, which have been forged on historical Palestine for generations, they made this act illegal, basically kind of cutting off Palestinians' connection, generational connection to the land and functioning as a way of erasing Palestinian tradition from um, the land in which it, it, they, uh, it's been inherited from. So foragers kind of is a work of, I think, resistance, and it spotlights this constant, uh, this constant practice of charting connections back to a land in which you've been severed from, or, or the, the legislative framework around um, Palestine has severed um, Palestinians' connections from the land through this re-narrativization of nature as something that you know needs to be protected from Palestinians instead of you know Palestinians being embedded in the land through their traditions as they have for generations. So it kind of is a really fascinating exploration of the ways in which we narrate nature or the kind of narratives that we um, kind of like frame our relationship to land with. And it's a it's a really kind of stunning exploration of that and how that act of foraging, which, you know, maybe here in Scotland, you know, we don't even think twice about going on, you know, walks in nature and like we, we have like these zero trespassing laws and things like that. Whereas in Palestine, every single act of, you know, just picking an herb, you know, becomes an act of resilience and act of um, resistance to the settler colonial regime. Um, so it's it's an incredibly mesmerizing aspiration. And I hope lots of people come and see it because it's stunning. I'm also intrigued by there's a film called The Mushroom Speaks, which looks really interesting, which is, uh, yeah, which seems like a, a more kind of more lighthearted uh, film. But like, uh, can you talk about mm. that one? Yeah. So we were so kind of happy to be able to bookend Foragers as our opening film and Mushroom Speaks as our um, final film. And like you said, it, it is a very lighthearted, quite zany, quite quirky documentary that's narrated by a silent mushroom. So you'll see lots of these kind of weird time lapse um, scenes of like mold and spores and networks growing while you have these really, really kind of zany philosophical nuggets um, taken from um, lots of like writers, for example, Anna Ting, who's like everyone's beloved mycology um, expert for I'm speaking to a very niche audience but, <laughs> but I mycology know, heads <laughs> dial in <laughs> I know I know the niche exists so if you hear this this is the film for you so we really wanted to kind of close off the festival with something like you said that's quite hopeful and quite optimistic and mushrooms are having a bit of a moment right now I don't know if anyone's aware of the mushroom zeitgeist but they're kind of very hip and in um, and mo in in kind of the circles of both like academia and even in activism this idea of the mycelium network or of this like very hyper-connected democratic you know unstoppable force of connection growing underground it has become like a really vivid metaphor for you know how we organize our communities and how we work together in solidarity to face the challenges of you know post-capitalist ruin uh, and so like one of the key mushrooms that is is kind of discussed in the film is the matsutake mushroom which is famous for basically being the only living thing to sprout out of the nuclear wasteland of Hiroshima. And that's kind of the basis of Anna Ting's book, The Mushroom at the End of the World. And she's a mycologist that features quite heavily in the film. Um, so in our kind of programming and looking at this theme of land, it felt like a perfect film to end on or to kind of use this idea of the mushroom to, again, draw those connections and, you know, root down through... Um, all of the different themes and the ways of interacting with land through this metaphor of the mushroom and also looking at ways in which fungi both like practically and politically you know 
provide a framework for engaging with material, the material of the land, but also the way that we we live in land kind of embedded in networks with each other and with nature much more differently and with a lot of hope behind that. Is that followed by a talk that involves, is it the Rise Collective? Or like a kind of mushroom grow, like kind of guerrilla mushroom yeah, growing yeah. collective from <laughs> Edinburgh? Yeah, so um, we're actually running a radical mycology workshop called Fungi, uh, oh, sorry, Fungal Allies. Um, and that's with rice mushrooms um, at their farm, their urban mushroom farm at the Forge. That's actually the day before the screening. Ah. So that will be on the morning um, on the Saturday, uh, this Saturday. Uh, and But we'll have Mim Black, who's the co-founder of Rice Mushrooms, will be joining us for a post-screening conversation. Uh, also with um, Hannah Kuhn, who's a, um, a Edinburgh-based like forager and gardener, um, as well as um, Jess Jonathan, um, who was the author of The Nerves and Their Endings, um, also a bookseller at Lighthouse Books. So we're they're all kind of mushroomy, great like experts. We're gonna have such fun talking about <laughs> like yeah, again, mycology nerds. This is this yeah. one's for you. <laughs> Mushrooms are in. <laughs> they are, yeah, you can do you can do anything with them. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. And then away from the features, there's also a kind of short film program so i mean in terms of like programming something like take one action how do you kind of approach those quite different forms in terms of like features and then like shorts and kind of start to put those start to put a program like that together so our shorts program is um, going to be available online in october so you can watch that from across the uk and with our shorts program we were also trying to spotlight another perspective that maybe we weren't able to cover with our compact kind of feature um, program of four features. And what we really wanted to explore with the shorts is um, the idea of women's relationships to land um, and how they kind of re-narrativize um, the ways in which they, you know, land structures their relationships with um, their nations, their bodies, um, all of these uh, structures that they're embedded in. So our shorts program kind of explores women's relationships to, for example, um, uh, uh, nature, uh, when we have um, First Step Swim, which follows um, Caitlin McMillan, the filmmaker, um, on a journey of wild swimming. And it's uh, just like a really beautiful meditative piece about um, re rediscovering personal connection to land and nature. And we've also got um, a film called Two Spirit, which is uh, uh, follows a um, trans woman in an indigenous community in Colombia um, who's, you know, met with ostracization. Sorry, is that a word? Yes. Mm -hmm. yep. um, by um, by the rest of her community while she's just trying to, you know, get electricity um, connected to her home. But she's kind of meets all of the, this hostility that's thrown her way with the words, you know, I have only love. Um, so there's a, a, a lot of really diverse um, explorations of the way in which these women um, re-narrativize their relationships with their nation and their land and um, we wanted to kind of spotlight this like gender dimension that maybe we hadn't really um, foregrounded in our features program. So this would supplement that a bit. Yeah. And so because you've got such a great theme in terms of land and then even with your short films, that's a great sort of satellite theme as well. Um, what was the process like? Was there a lot of challenges in trying to organize something under that broad an idea or did you go in with other ideas? Because I've just never had the chance to speak to someone who's programmed a festival before, mm. so I don't quite know what the process is like. I think, so um, I approached this and we did with the team quite organically, just like watching 
watching a bunch of films you kind of just watch a lot of things and then I think you you kind of gather what seems to you know stand out and then I think that that thematic um, strand really kind of emerged quite organically um, one one kind of through way that we had in was that because 2022 marks the 10 year anniversary of the hostile environment as a Scottish film festival as well we really wanted to acknowledge that and acknowledge also the history of uh, migrant justice campaigning that we've seen not even like history history but just like recent history with like Kenmuir Street and Nicholson Square as well to kind of acknowledge Scotland's um embeddedness within those very ongoing narratives um, and so because of that we wanted to screen the film Hostile which is you know more of a standard kind of talking heads documentary about the hostile environment but that doesn't uh, diminish in any way it's enraging power um, it's the kind of film where you watch and you just feel just so I think overcome with grief and anger and it's a really like bold wake-up call um, and we wanted to be able to definitely use that film as a starting point to um, encourage people to get involved with local anti-raids communities and networks so we'll actually be joined after our screening of that film as well um, by Edinburgh Anti-Raids who will be doing a little bit of like a knowledge sharing session for anyone who wants to get more involved as we all should be in um, resisting the hostile environment so that was one of our kind of key ways in and then because the hostile environment is all about you know, land, about nation, about who's excluded from that idea of nation at the expense of who. Um, and that provided us with one kind of perspective on the way land is interpreted or the way that land is understood as something exclusionary. And then we kind of were able to draw connections from that to, for example, then Palestine, how, how are people in Palestine ex excluded from the idea of land? And then over to Delicado, which is a film we're showing um, about land defenders in the Philippines, about how they've been also strip, been stripped of agency regarding their land and the fact that they have to put their lives on the line to defend um, their homeland. Um, so, yeah, it emerged quite organically. I think all of these stories all share this very resonant yet diverse ways of interacting with this theme. Um, so we really hope that audiences would will enjoy coming to multiple screenings and events and drawing those connections for themselves as well. Stuff. So Take One Action is in Edinburgh from the 16th to the 18th of September, Glasgow from the 23rd to the 25th, and then it's up in Aberdeen from the 21st to the 23rd of October, and Inverness from the 28th to the 30th of October, and the short film programme, uh, which is to remember to reclaim archives for future love, is online between the 21st and 30th of October. You can find all the information on that if you don't want to just slow me down to half speed to stop me from shouting all these dates and numbers at you. Uh, you can find all that info at uh, takeoneaction.org.uk. And uh, John Lynn, thanks for taking some time out literally three days before the festival starts to come and tell us all about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me as once again a friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, best friend we've got so far. So yeah. <laughs> So first review for this week is Funny Pages, which is the debut film by Owen Klein, the son of Phoebe Cates and Kevin Klein. Jamie's nodding. The son of Phoebe Cates and Kevin Klein. So this is a film that centers on Robert, who is a teenage cartoonist played by Daniel Zalgardi, who is has a kind of inspirational, if somewhat odd, art teacher. And uh, Robert ends up dropping out of school to pursue his dream of becoming an artist in the comics. 
Uh, but everything about this film is much, much stranger than that synopsis would lead you to believe. This film was, uh, in addition to being written and directed by Owen Klein, was produced by the Safdie brothers, which should give you some idea of the tone and general vibe. Uh, Jamie, I believe that you love this film. Why don't you tell us why that is? I do love this film. Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, from the outside, you might think, oh, Owen Klein, son of like Hollywood royalty, you know, Nepo baby, you know, has he got the chops? Um, I guess he's probably best known still as being the kid brother and Squid and the Whale. Um, and he's great in that film. And I'm, I'm, you know, I would have loved to have seen him just continue to be an actor because he's a great little actor. But he, I think he's got the chops. Uh, he's put the work in. Clearly, he's made short films. He's working with this. He's worked as crew a crew member on the Safdie brothers. So it seems like he's not just one of these uh, young filmmakers who's been given a camera and is sort of living off the the milk of his parents because this film is like a real kind of point of view I think a real kind of sensibility that seems like sort of yeah you might have some skills so yeah the film what, what I like about the film is how surprising it is it opens with uh, Robert's teacher telling him to subvert expectations and that seems like a really uh, meta statement because that's what Owen Klein seems to be doing throughout the film it's got a kind of plot which is basically a kind of coming of age plot you've seen a million plots like this from like Sundance or whatever but every time this film is, uh, you know, zigs, it zags for me. So the setup, like I say, it's, it's a coming of age film, but it, every cliche beat is subverted. So, for example, uh, Robert has this kind of inspirational teacher who encourages him to think for himself, to go out and discover his voice, to become a comic book writer. So you're thinking Dead Poet Society, you're thinking to serve with love. But then the teacher does something seriously transgressive that suggests maybe he shouldn't be a teacher and this, this uh, relationship is... Uh, pretty fucked up um, and then it, it does that all the time so uh, later he moves out of house he moves into this apartment um, and usually in a film like this the apartment would be really cool it'd be in New York it'd be like a kind of loft with these cool hipsters but actually it's a sweaty basement apartment in Trenton with these two eccentric middle-aged men who sit around all day talking about Archie comics and sweating in the underwear because the basement is like disgusting and like warm and has its heating turned on all the time for some reason so it just does things like that um and then even when he meets this kind of mentor this guy who's in the comic book industry who you think is going to take him under his wing um he's this kind of recluse who doesn't who's not in the comic book industry anymore and you think he's going to be like a jd salinger type who's actually a genius who's going to teach him but actually it turns out to be a guy who's seriously mentally ill and got real anger issues and has some sort of weird vendetta with the chemist so just constantly just upending the usual structures of these types of films but i think my favorite thing about it is, is just the atmosphere is great like uh the basement for example where robert uh, moves into is just like it's just so well realized you know you can practically smell the hot air and the kind of stench of it and the layers of sweat and grime on everybody's face um and it's shot in th uh, in 16 mil and it's the, so that so the, the actual look of the film is really grubby and sort of broken down and that kind of fits because this is a guy who's obsessed with old things you know robert is a kid who's into comics but he's not into like marvel or dc like young people are now you know that's like the mainstream now he's into the weirdo outside uh, outside our kind of underground comics of like um you know sort of like crumb or daniel cows is it daniel cows um uh, or, or you know or like uh, the tijuana bible kind of like disgusting comics which were full of like sexual endo and thing so he's like he's into old things but he's this kind of young kid from a rich family so so he, had, he knows nothing of these worlds and he has to kind of try and enter that world to sort of understand it so it's yeah it's about a, a kind of kid 
who's a, he's, a, he's not a likable character. He's like a little spoiled brat who basically rejects his parents and wants to be an artist. But it's not, and he has a kind of very romantic idea of what being an artist is. But that's the thing in movies that is really usually romantic. Usually, being a, a starving artist, uh, you know, is like very romanticized. But here, it's shown to be disgusting and full of like weirdo characters. Um, so I loved all that. Yeah, I really loved it too. I, I found it like really entertaining in a not at all a big picture kind of way like um so you you have this this character who's this privileged kid who wants to like throw it all away and and become an artist and that raises lots of interesting questions right like does is art more genuine or soulful if you've gone through financial or social hardships and if that's so then you know then can you shake off your privilege by forcing yourself into an unpleasant living situation? It answers these questions in almost no way. It just sort of digresses, really. It's such a nonsensical ride. So, like, you know, there's this scene where Robert has made friends with this artist that he's happened to have met at this court courtroom job that he has, and because he's desperate to emulate him, he's doing what he says, so he goes to this pharmacist to rile him up to provoke him and there's this old lady there desperately asking him for painkillers and it's such a how the fuck did we even get here plot line like it's so strange it's so like you know so many different diverting roads but each scene i think is just so chaotic and fun um you know it almost begins to feel like we're heading somewhere near the film's climax now no spoilers but there's characters who are like arguing over oh we're not artists we're shit this is all terrible and there's some saying no but it's got soul and that's what matters and it feels like we're almost getting to the point of this film this point of like you know was robert right to abandon his family is he actually making his art any better but before those questions can be answered like it just digresses more and more and the argument becomes so heated it just doesn't become about that anymore it just becomes a fight and it becomes this sort of comedic farce um like the the scenes are just so fun to like ride along with um and it really does subvert those expectations of like where this film is going to go what the point's going to be um and yeah it, it really is like a, a fun structure i think you know it, it's ultimately that like don't expect a coming of age film because the scenes themselves are these little sort of spirals into madness and we're not actually here to come of age at all it's a farce no matter what yeah it's got a very strange unhinged intensity to it um matthew mayer who plays wallace who is this kind of de facto accidental not mentor to robert is fantastic just constantly about to boil over it's a really good performance of just like solve any problem by shouting really hard at it love to see it there is this kind of like grotesquery to it and it's all very kind of like pleasantly strange and weird you can tell it was written by a guy whose parents are both famous film stars because the main character quits high school and it's just fine and then he gets arrested for breaking at someone's house but then that's also fine and he actually gets a job out of it but i think what you're what you're both saying is true that this is actually a film that is trying to look at those tropes of a kind of it's the end of high school what will i do with my life type film and sort of upending them as far as it can like as much as it can it looks and feels so different to any kind of like coming of age type film it's got a very unique air to it and a real intensity to it in parts which is quite like unsettling so yeah, yeah so, it, it, like it, everything looks so like washed out like it, it looks like a sort of like no budget 
90s indie film but everyone has like laptops and phones and stuff like that and you know there's these intense close-ups which I think are like meant to make everyone look very unglamorous like they kind of resemble the comic book characters that Robert's inevitably going to draw of them yeah well the cast is amazing like apart like Robert I guess is like your, your typical kind of like average teen but everyone else around him looks like they've stepped out of an Arkham movie they're all kind of like exaggerated faces they're not the type of faces you see on screen you know like these aren't typically people you would cast but they're everyone within a second like they are like caricatures they just you know who they are within a second because they just are like are so exaggerated uh, in their facial features and i loved all that like i loved seeing these interesting people it's a film that's in love with comic books i think like if you're a comic book nerd i'm sure there's lots of stuff in here that i didn't get lots of references um to like old like uh is it um is it uh, flincher fleischer comics like he he did like betty boop and things like that so lots of references to really old stuff that isn't really popular anymore but clearly there are like owen klein and and people like him are obsessed with it and yeah if you're obsessed with all that uh, i think you'd enjoy this it's really interesting as well when we sort of go into the comic books like all of the shots when we're when he's like observing the the coloring of of a comic book or he's like sort of reading it we have these intense close-ups where we can't actually see what it is we're reading we don't really get to see the comic book so much and you know it's these like very occasional moments where not everything on screen is like ugly and cluttered and and really like grimy um when it's just sort of you and the art yeah so again like it, it really like i think in 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 its camera work nails having that very intense particular passion for something for the fine details of comic books even when he draws them as well it's these really really intense close-ups where you don't even kind of get to see the full picture that he's drawing so funny pages is out on the 16th of september this friday uh, there are screenings at the film house in edinburgh and at the gft in glasgow very very good just go and check it out hello and greetings from your venice correspondent um i am no longer in venice i am in luton so make of that what you will um, but I had a really, really lovely time. Um, saw a lot of very, very good films. Ate truly the most obscene amount of pizza and pasta that a person has ever eaten. Um, but it was really good. So yeah, I'm just gonna give you guys a little update on what I saw, mostly what I liked, maybe a couple of things I didn't like. There were a couple of things I really passionately disliked. But yeah, like starting with the good stuff, so Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All starring Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet. Um, I really love Luca Guadagnino. Uh, Call Me By Your Name is kind of in my top films of all time. Um, I also obviously very much love Timmy. And so I was kind of very hyped about this, but I think I also was like, I probably won't like it because I was just so like anticipating it so much and it kind of felt so reminiscent in so many ways of Call Me By Your Name like with the kind of cast and the director and all of that I was like oh it's just going to feel like a kind of second rate like it's just ultimately going to be disappointing um but I really loved it I really loved it it's about um it's based on a YA novel about basically these two cannibal kids that sort of road trip across the US like looking for identity and like who they are and how they can belong um and it's really beautifully made it's really like tremulous and just really full of like 
just feeling like everything in her is just like so raw and so palpable and just melancholy and gory and oh it's just a very like visceral film in every way Timmy is so good Taylor Russell was amazing I think she's um since won the like young performer first time performer uh prize at Venice which is very well deserved so yeah that comes out I think in November on a kind of broader release and I really loved it I'm sure we'll talk more about it I also saw um, No Bears, the new Jafar Panahi, um, which I suppose is going to be his last film made indefinitely because he is now in prison. Um, it's very similar to kind of the films that he has been making since his sort of 20 year filmmaking ban, which just that is just the most like big dick energy <laughs> as a sentence right of like he was banned and here he is with his like 10 films that he's made since but yeah it's very it's similar in that vein of being very metafictional but it's much more intricate than I think a lot of the ones recently um it kind of takes place in different locations I think even more so it's using the kind of the positionality of him as a director and what that means and how he's navigating that and it's really beautiful I really really loved it um other quick like top ones the new Joanna Hogg is sick can she make a bad film no she can't um it's like weirdly gothic actually it feels like almost the closest she'll come to a genre film that's called Eternal Daughter by the way um and the Jeff Arapana here is called No Best <laughs> I can you tell I haven't scripted this um but yeah that's really like luscious and Tilda Swinton plays both like an artist and the artist's mother and it's just very clever um there was a film written by the guy that did um La Jolie who did Les Miserables not the musical the like French Bonlieu film um so it was written by him directed by a Roman Gavray called Athena um which honestly has one of I think one of just the best things I've ever seen committed to celluloid ever like it's this luscious film about uh kind of like the aftermath of a police shooting and essentially this kind of civil war that erupts between these kids in a bonlieu in paris i think and then the police um and sometimes it's politics gets like a little bit like it, it should have owned the courage of its convictions a little bit more but it is still really fierce really good um, and just stunning like you have never seen anything like this and I think because that's through Netflix I think that's also out in a month or two um Alice Diop's Saint-Omer um is gorgeous is also showing at London next month I think um and it's this kind of almost retelling of like the Medea myth through a courtroom um case of a mother who drowned her infant daughter um and kind of like melds issues of like motherhood and race and it's like gentle and kind of like austere and stripped back but then especially like its use of music like feels like palpable and mythic and grand and it's just so interesting um and then my final favorite sorry I know I'm going over Peter maybe you can edit this <laughs> was um Blue Jean by Georgia Oakley which was in the author's week I think so it wasn't in competition it was one of those small films but it's made by the BFI um like kind of produced by the BFI and is about a lesbian PE teacher in 80s Britain so under Thatcher at the time that section 28 is coming into law and it is 
just a really important slice of British history, um, like the way that people live in public and private and it's just really beautiful, really like meticulously made, um, really sexy, but like not in like a really overtly way. It's just like these people are just trying to like live and love and fuck how they want. And there's kind of a sexiness to that, but also the sadness because of what's... So yeah, that is also very good. In terms of things I hated, I fucking hated the whale. Uh, <laughs> but we can, I'm sure, talk about that more um later down the line but yeah Darren Aronofsky you will not see heaven was a bad time uh but yeah it was a very good year it was not I think as banging as last year because that was really like you know Jane Campion, Alma Devar, like The Lost Daughter it was just very lush um so this wasn't as like overtly oh my god but it was still very good oh fuck this is seven minutes okay all right I'm signing out now um and yeah we'll see you all on the regular podcast soon bye 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 Okay, so in the near future, your dreams and mine are under surveillance, and they're also kind of taxable by the government. In Strawberry Mansion, James Preble is a tax inspector who's been charged with auditing the kind of recorded dreams of Bella, who is an artist who lives with her pet turtle in the Strawberry Mansion of the title. James turns up and starts watching the tapes and goes off into a kind of heady, if somewhat lo-fi, dreamscape uh, this is a kind of like American indie film written and directed by Albert Burney and Kentucker Audley, and Kentucker also plays the lead character Preble. I've been excited to watch this film ever since I first saw some stills about six months ago and found out who was doing the soundtrack, and I'm pleased to announce that it fucking rocks. I love it. <laughs> but apparently these two don't feel quite the same way, so I'll go to you, Lewis, first. Lewis, why do you hate dreams so much? <laughs> what what What's happened? Who, why don't, who, why, who where, has, my heart? where has the fantasy gone in your life? I mean, I, so it is kind of a surprise that I have so much negative stuff to say about this film because I just love films that have their like own unique visual language. Um, you know, any point that you look at the screen while this film is on, there is something weird and interesting going on, you know? Um, is it poignant? Is it is it meaningful? No, not in the slightest. Uh, so, you know, if you've got the plot where there's this dream tax auditor and he learns this truth bomb that companies have been putting advertisements in our dreams. Except, well, like, they don't really make that out to be that big of a deal. Like, I get why that's a bad thing, but I still expect this, the film to sort of explain what's bad about it. This is the future and they're already, like, taxing our dreams, so why is it, like, so life-changing that they're also putting adverts in there? How is it more harmful? Or is the advertising itself harmful in any way? Because a lot of the stuff, like, this anti-bug spray just seems useful. Um, there's this point where, like, Bella, the old lady, says that her son is evil, which is, like, pretty totalist thing to call someone, especially your own son. And then he turns out to be the CEO of the advertising company and a murderer. Like, he's just... I get it. Sounds like, pretty evil to me. Why, why, like, you know, why even choose to villainize commercialism as someone who's very anti-commercialist? Why choose to villainize commercialism if you can't state what's villainous about commercialism in your film? Why not just make the bad guy, like an evil dream warlock. It, you know, it does sound a little bit nitpicky because the whole point of the film is obviously not the plot, it is just the visuals, but like, I don't think it's invalid to say that the film didn't like make me feel anything and that's kind of a problem. Like the stakes are quite wishy-washy and unclear. The characters don't even seem very connected to each other. You know, uh, they're a bit tropey. Our protagonist is a bit of like a 
bored, depressed, mustachioed, sad man who meets this whimsical old hippie lady who's just sort of off in her own world. But at no point do they ever start to speak the same language. So it doesn't really, you know, they fall in love over a pretty short montage. So it is like very visually enchanting and, you know, well worth a watch for the visuals alone. I'm, I'm, I'm really like pleased with them, but they're, they're, they're interesting because they're dripping with expression, but the film doesn't express anything, you know? It's just sort of like watching an episode of The Mighty Bush that you're not really paying attention to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like, you know, I, think I agree with a lot of that. Like, for me, the, the, the real strength is the visuals. Everything looks really handmade. All the future tech is, like, made from cardboard and stick it back plastic, and it all looks like it's, like, was made that afternoon, and it's like, but it looks beautiful. Like, it, it's, it's, it's all handmade, but beautiful. And I love all that. I love the imagination of it, and it's making a film... Uh, on a low budget it's a, it's a kind of radical thing you know like I love the fact that they went out and made a kind of sci-fi movie with like peanuts basically um, and it's got like stop motion in the dreams all that's great I was just I think it's just a little bit undercooked like like you say those ideas what does taxation taxing your dreams mean does it mean poor people can't dream as vividly as rich people we don't know because we don't meet any poor people it doesn't take that idea into the wider context of the world what does that mean socially and politically if you're taxing people's dreams can we not dream what we want is it is it is it a, a real tax on our like how do we even pay for it like it doesn't make sense and then with the adverts it's not even an advert it's a product placement so is it is it a kind of satire on mainstream film because obviously mainstream film is full of product placement you know if that was part of it that would be an interesting idea but it doesn't again it doesn't explore that idea and i agree the romance is a bit 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 watery like a bit weak because it would actually be very actually interesting if this young man fell in love with this old woman bella that would actually be a a really interesting and if they fell in love through their dreams but the fact is he falls in love with her because she's dreams her her cipher in her dreams or her, her avatar in her dreams is this young beautiful woman so he falls in love with the image she's projecting kind of dreams and it's not even even if we get a sense of them falling in love either he just sees her and instantly falls in love and we're told they're in love so yeah it's, it's just it's, it's full of great ideas but not nothing is sort of concrete or fed through and i think that maybe maybe you, you could say well it's a dream world it's all surreal but it's not even that surreal i didn't even think the dreams were that dreamlike you know that's not how i dream like 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 i think the idea of a dream is you're in a meadow and there's a beautiful woman there, but there's also, but you're dressed in moss, you know, like, and that's it. Dreams are usually are nightmarish or, or, or uh, transform and transmute. And this film sort of didn't do that. I had sort of one sort of, a couple of ideas that were nice, but it didn't sort of ever become nightmarish or interesting um, There's to a me. point where he's like chased around the house by, you know, someone with a wolf head. But... At that point, it just gets so kind of like... Because, again, we're not invested, really. So by that point, it's so hammy. And and his acting is, like, still not great. He's still doing the sort of mopey thing, except he's trying to, like, run around the house and be all terrified. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just think that, like... I don't know. You're drawn in in the first act because it's so, it's so mysterious and wonderful, wonderful a world with such interesting visuals. And it, it kind of, like... I felt a little bit punished for expecting more. I felt like I, I was like, okay, so like let's explore these ideas now that we've got this great introduction. And then it was like, oh well, there's no real, there's no ideas really. It is just about the visuals. I've listened to your thoughts. <laughs> I've taken them all on board. I still really like this film. I think because for me, weird because it's like basically a kind of mumblecore film that is also trying to be like a Michel Gondry, Spike Jones music video from the mid two thousands. 
the interesting thing to me was that the guy Preble, who is like the main guy, is very clearly a kind of like very repressed, downbeat, kind of depressive guy. And all these kind of fantastical visions that he has in these dreams are sort of trying to draw something out of him. I think that's quite an interesting thing uh, as a concept. I think that you're right that all the stuff about the dream taxation doesn't... There's a lot of plot threads that don't really get followed through on. This is not a perfect film, but I would say it's a very good film, nay, a great film, mainly because of what you were saying, Lewis, that it looks so good. There's amazing costume work, really good like mixture of animation styles and visual effects styles, uh, lots of kind of really inventive stuff. Like his, He has a kind of dream room uh, where when he, initially when he starts to have, basically when he dreams, his dreams are so like basic and hemmed in by the world that he lives in that it's like block pink walls with block color products and then this guy who is like his dream buddy who just comes in pitches him a product and then he wakes up but that idea is paid off so like impressively visually that i was on board straight away i was like what are they going to do next a giant mouse on a ship. But my issue is that's not how you dream. You don't that's you don't dream the same thing every night. And if he is dreaming that every night, is it because of the the system they live in? It's just not. It's just very unclear. Like I, I really liked the dream sequences. I thought they were like a lot of fun. Again, just visually. Like, but that's the thing. We're like. It's such a powerful start to the film. The soundtrack is absolutely incredible. I think it's like as good as the visuals. Um, so you're really there in the moment. But then you kind of materialize, and the more you come back to that room, the less satisfied. Because you come back to it like four times throughout the film, and each time I just felt less satisfied, less like, okay, I get it, it's his dream. Yeah. This is the big pink room where he dreams. There's a really nice sequence towards the end where it opens up, and he's like on a pirate ship, and there's like mice as the crew. That that's where it became. Oh, this could this is what the film could be if maybe it had more of a budget or if they had opened out a bit more. But also during that sequence, he's also in trouble, you know, like, like, and he's he's in the real world, he's knocked unconscious, and we should be worried about him, but then I realised, actually, I'm not feeling any tension, like, like the, the, it's just bad filmmaking, I should be tense, I should be worried for him, and I've seen that kind of sequence so many times of someone being knocked out and being in a dream world or being in a, in a, a, a you know, a different world, um, you know, whether it's Inception or... Have it, you know, uh, the last Airbender or something. It's, it's, it's a it's a scene we've seen a million times, but not to pull it off and make me feel tense is just bad filmmaking. It, you can it can be as imaginative and as visually interesting as you want, but if the filmmaking doesn't make you feel anything, I don't know. I feel you failed. The only like the first couple of scenes, like I said, I was so pulled in, and there's that feeling of wonder. Your eyes are opening. It just how weird this film's gonna get. The only other rise the film remotely got out of me after those first couple scenes was there's a baby turtle that's really cute. And I was like, oh, that's such a cute baby turtle. And then at some point, the baby turtle comes back. And you're like, yay, the baby turtle's back. Oh, I guess we got to go do the plot again. How did you feel about the the frog who plays jazz saxophone? That was nice. He's pretty cool. He was pretty cool. How did you feel about the guy made of VHS tape? Again, that's like, it's a cool costume. Moss Man? Jamie's, even, Jamie's been ragging on the, Moss the Man VHS already. The VHS tape man doesn't do anything. He just sort of wanders around. Like, I guess he's meant to represent, like, the the dream. It's what it all represents. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a fun little experiment in, oh, look at the costume these people have made. Cool. It could probably work better as, like, an art exhibition. It's a really, it's a fantastic music video. It's a really good yeah. 
hour and a half long music video. And the soundtrack, the soundtrack is by Dan Deacon, the uh, kind of glitchy electronic man who has done a lot of film soundtracks recently, but his like solo material is great as well. So if you approach this, approach this like I would approach a film as a kind of smooth-brained non-film boy and be <laughs> like, look, these visuals are lovely. This music is delightful. Is this film uh, doing much else other than that? No, but am I having a lovely time? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think these two were fans, but... Maybe a bit harsh. It's, it's, it's definitely gorgeous and imaginative. Mm -hmm. And one to try and see on the biggest screen you can. Now, unfortunately, there are currently no screenings of it lined up in Scotland. It's out on digital this weekend and in cinemas around the UK. It's getting a run at the excellent home cinema in Manchester. Um, but dear independent cinemas of Scotland, please put on screenings of this film. I'll introduce them. I'll drag one of these two up. I'll make I would them, see it again. I'll make them say they like it. I'd, I'd bring people <laughs> along. I think I think people should see this film. You know, yeah. I think that like it's just a really cool. It just yeah. just if not for a, as tribute to all the hard work that the visual. Yeah, I think yeah. It. From my one of the things that I genuinely think is the best thing. One of the best things about this film is the fact that it has been made. Mm -hmm. The level of ambition and kind of daring to do something like this which combines like multiple different kinds of visual effects lots of like physical prop work um creates all these like kind of miniature worlds in that classic uh kind of simpsons way where you put something on screen that has loads of detail and then it's gone after like 10 seconds i just really appreciate the fact that a, a team of people made this thing and they saw it through to the end. Well, I would encourage people to go see the Discreet Charms of the Bourgeoisie uh, Leibon Wells film from 1972, because that's getting re-released this week coincidentally, and that's a film about dreams, and it's very dreamlike and, and properly surreal, but it's also saying something subversive and political, and in, in a much more kind of forceful way, so uh, that is a film that's not wishy-washy or twee, so go and see uh, the Discreet Charms of the Bourgeoisie, I think it's playing at GIA this weekend why not both <laughs> but yes that's a good recommendation so you've absolutely done me congratulations jamie you remain the head of the cine skinny podcast and i think that's probably as good a note as any to finish on and uh yeah thanks for listening if you've liked this then leave us a good review subscribe to the pod and tell your friends what you heard here today thank you to jamie uh cheers thank you lewis thank you very much thank you to anna heat who dialed in earlier from venice via luton that was cut in at a later date, so we haven't heard it yet. Delightful, though. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, wait to see all the films. <laughs> and I'm excited to having just heard it. <laughs> um, and thanks again to Chunlin for coming down and talking to us about Take One Action Film Festival, which kicks off in Edinburgh this weekend. Uh, thanks again to Josh and everyone at Upload Studios, uploadstudios.co.uk. And we will be back in two weeks. Will they let me pick a film again? Probably not, but you never know. Uh, bye from all of us. Bye. bye.